0: Gordon Lachter a person who has been actually one of the founders of the Council of Canadians, and he uh, actually, I think he's probably the oldest uh, person existing right now. He's a long-standing <clears throat> political economist. He realizes that Canada needs a strategy for sufficient energy and environmental protection at yet an affordable price. And that has to be a low-carbon future. He's very keen on the two NAFTA agreements. I think there's two now, there might be more. Uh, but he's very keen on following that, what happened in nineteen ninety four, and what could possibly happen now in two thousand and eight if it is or nine if it is sound. After the Sands is his latest book, written in two, thousand and fifteen. I mentioned the copies were available there. He was the founding director of of the Parkland Institute, and that's a non-corporate research uh, institution for public policy research. Quoted widely, it has been quoted widely in the media, and in fact, in Alberta, which is obviously not as concerned about climate change as we are, we tended to refer to Gordon and the Parkland Institute as Alberta's official opposition. So, I present Gordon to you.
1: Well, uh, thank you. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, thanks for uh, uh, everybody helping out and actually getting the, the, the slideshow. Um, I love to be at uh, Council of Canadians meetings. I've been a member uh, right from the beginning. There was, um, in January 1985, in Edmonton, the Council was actually founded in Edmonton. Um, Mel Hurtig uh, was running his publishing company, and he brought uh, eight of us together. And that was the very first meeting of the Council of Canadians. The official founding meeting was a month later in Toronto, and that's when MOD first came. So anyway, I, I, I was the first chairperson of the of the Council in um, in Edmonton. So I've, I've been have uh, been with this uh, with the Council. So I'd like to thank uh, Rory Brady and everybody else in the uh, this uh, chapter for organizing this event and, and bringing me. And I'm very pleased to be here, be here with Brent Patterson very closely for the last 14 years. Well, I was last in Peterborough uh, 50 years ago. I, I came here to support the news workers at the Peterborough Examiner who were on strike for union recognition. They were on strike for six months. Does uh, anybody remember, remember that? Well, it may show your age. But uh, anyways, I was I was here. I was a student at that point and um, so that was um, I'm going to present a bold new plan the case for phasing out the Alberta Sands it is key to Canada getting to a low carbon socially just future it's good for Albertans it's good for Canadians and it's good for all humanity I'm not going to talk about the NAFTA and the USMCA in my talk but if anybody wants to talk about that during the discussion well Peterborough was the site of a very brief national discussion on phasing out the tar sands. Do people remember this? The Prime Minister came to town. He spoke to a town hall meeting in January 2017. Was anybody there at that meeting? Okay, well, a few of you were, great. He was asked about his government's approval of of, uh, pipelines and how that could fit in with uh, his environmental plans. He said, we can't shut down the oil sands tomorrow. We need to phase them out. We need to manage the transition off our dependence on fossil fuels, that is going to take time. Well, actually, the prime minister was right on this, but he had stepped on a beehive. The Alberta politicians were up in arms all the way from conservative to NDP to all of them. And they demanded that he retract. And he did. Two weeks after he had uh, that meeting in Peterborough, he stood with his whole cabinet behind him and he said, I misspoke. I didn't mean it. Six weeks later, Trudeau spoke to big oil uh, executives in uh, Houston, uh, and to strong applause, he told them, no country would find 173 billion barrels of oil in the, uh, in the ground and just leave them there. Well, 97% of those barrels are in the tar sands. That policy that he spoke to in Houston are the government's real policies, and they led directly to Ottawa buying an oil pipeline that critics in the West call the Trans Taxpayer Money Pipeline. Well, we are faced with a many hydra-headed hydra monster. No sooner do Indigenous uh, nations and environmental activists kill off one pipeline, another one pops up. So we uh, we have to lop off that head too. So we killed the Northern Gateway or pipeline to the Pacific, the Trans uh, Canada's Energy East. Oil pipeline in New Brunswick, Imperial Oil's revived Mackenzie Valley pipeline that was first killed in 1977 with the Berger the Berger Commission, and then again last December. So, but I have an idea. Instead of having to lop off each one of these heads, why not kill the monster at its heart? Once phased out, no more pipeline schemes. Climate scientists warn. About uh, rising greenhouse gases and the, the, the climate disasters that they are causing, their information is, is absolutely vital and it's great. But it is kind of abstract for most people to act on. Yes, people think there's a slow climate catastrophe coming, and uh, but what can I do about it? Uh, we are such puny players with this huge global problem. And governments, meanwhile, I have to deal with my own uh, immediate problems and the problems of my community. And, of course, governments are not enabling me or my community to uh, better and affordable public transportation, safe, active transportation like cycling and walking uh, on suburban sidewalks, net zero buildings to live on. Well, government leaders meet yearly, uh, proclaim carbon reduction targets, congratulate themselves, and return home to do other things. That is what's happening right now, Katowice, a coal country uh, in COP24. That's Canada's game, too. In 1997, Canada agreed to the Kyoto Climate Accord. So we pledged to lower our emissions 6% below the 1990 level by 2012. Guess what? They're 20% higher than then. Canada is so bad in in its inaction, it regularly gets pinned the Fossil of the Year Award at international climate meetings. If Canada misses its targets, Ottawa just moves the goals further into the future and sets new targets for beyond when they will still be in office. In uh, Paris 2015, uh, 195 countries came together to keep the world below the, uh, a 1.5 degree uh, temperature rise Celsius rise above pre-industrial levels, and and certainly um, uh, keep it below a, a, a two degree rise. Well, we've already seen the global temperatures are up 1.2 degrees uh, Celsius, and so we're we're uh, we're very close to that 1.5 margin, and we've been told. About the the difference, Uh, going uh, to 2 degrees Celsius rise is going to be much worse than 1.5. And, of course, if you go beyond that, it is much greater disaster as well. Well, in Paris, there were no concrete plans about how to make it happen. Corporations, especially big oil, try to prevent real action. Their assets would be stranded, their profits would fall, so they're fighting it tooth and nail. Environment Canada projects that Canada will miss its Paris t- uh, p- uh, targets. And these targets are very modest. So when I talk about moving goalposts, uh, the Christian government signed Kyoto. They set it on, based it on the 1990 emissions. The Harper government said, oh no, we're going to base it on the 2005 emissions because they were already up about 20%. So we're going to make the emissions from... And it when Harper was still uh, prime minister, they submitted the plans to the Paris government. The liberals and the NDP criticized them the liberals now have stayed with those targets and they're not going to meet them. So if you look at, uh, at this slide, you can see Canada's 2020 target is right down in the lower right, 622 megatons a year. Well, there's, uh, you can't see the 2030 target there. It's 524. So you've got to go right down to the, the right corner. That is, that is where we're supposed to be in 2030. And this is where we are heading. We need strong, immediate action at national, provincial, and local levels within an international framework to get the world to a post-carbon future. And, of course, if we don't get there, this is the kind of thing that happens. This is from the Fort Mac fire, in which it was really lucky that uh, all those people got out. Uh, people in Paradise, uh, California, not, uh, not they were not as lucky uh, Something like 80 or 90 people had died there. The the BC fires were so great last summer that uh, there was smoke as, as far east as Winnipeg. So we know the kind of of disasters we, we face if we don't uh, uh, when we don't tackle this. The national targets in the Paris Accord were pathetic, actually. Even when you so this is this you know Canada you saw what Canada pledged to do, and if you add all of the national plans together. The, the, and if the governments actually met those targets, that the temperature would rise three degrees Celsius. And I just got uh, an email from uh, Elizabeth May an hour or two ago, and she said they've recalculated would actually rise 3.7 degrees Celsius, even if these governments meet the targets, and most of them are not on, uh, projected to meet their targets. Well, what happens, of course, uh, when, when you don't meet the targets, this is another thing that happens is extinctions. And you can see the level of extinctions have gone up with the uh, human population growth. Well, the majority of Canadians want their governments to take serious action, but they're also locked into and for the most part complacent about their energy wasteful uh, lifestyles. Climate action and lifestyle inaction are not co- uh, compatible. And mainstream media do not tell people, don't tell people this. One one has to give. And time and again, what gives is climate action. Business as usual means that corporate profits win, the climate worsens, and people, especially the world's poor, suffer. Many species are threatened with extinction. Well, the tar sands are the elephant in Canada's living room. They are Canada's biggest and fastest-growing source of emissions. The, uh, remember this man, Stephen Harper, when he first became prime minister, he was going to a, a G8 meeting in, in Russia when he was still in the G8. And this is what he said, if, if you can believe it, about the tar sands. He bragged. It is uh, Digging bitumen out of the ground is an enterprise of epic proportions akin to the building of the pyramids or China's Great Wall only bigger. So maybe if, if Alberta gets off the, the tar sands, they can uh, have a, a, a tourist industry to come and, come and visit and maybe it'll rival those of those countries. Well, Environment Canada said that uh, Ottawa's pan-Canadian fr- framework will almost certainly uh, fail its underwhelming target. And that's a 30% cut from 2005. What the IPCC says... The climate scientists is we need worldwide a 45 percent cut in emissions by 2030 if we want to get to a, a 1.5 degree uh, uh, keep it uh, the temperature below 1.5 degree rise. <clears throat> well, the the tar sands are the are the elephant in the room. Here is uh, this is a, a graph that was produced by David Hughes, a geoscientist. What he shows is what Canada must do, the top line that goes down to the 2030 targets. And the bottom part is the emissions from oil and gas production. So this is what is happening the uh, upstream oil sands, the upstream conventional oil and natural gas. You add all of them together and they will take about 50% of our emissions if we actually hit the 2030 target. So what it would mean in the, in, in the next 12 years is that almost all other activities would have to, to go down really substantially in order to allow the uh, production of oil and gas. And most of that oil and gas is for export. That's what we produce for, mainly for export to the United States. Uh, so we export 74% of our oil to the United States and over half of our natural gas. And the NAFTA agreement said that they the Americans have first – Shot. That's what the proportionality clause was, uh, to Canada's, uh, energy. It seems to be not in the, um, the, the new agreement, but we, we'll, we still are, we still have NAFTA with us right now. Well, if we act to phase out the sands, Albertans, of course, will be very upset. What I tell them is the only thing worse than, is, uh, the planned phase out of the tar sands, of the sands is their unplanned Freefall, and that of course is what is happening right now. The current oil glut in Alberta and production cuts may be the beginning of the end for the tar sands. I certainly hope so. The non-so some oil companies um, were um, making they, the oil companies in the tar sands made an incredible, incredible profits last year. Buckland Institute did a study showing Imperial and, and uh, Shell and Canadian Natural and Cenovus. They made just record profits, so I mean, they made the client poor. But and they, the the uh, integrated companies, let, so, such as Imperial, so the price of bitumen of of uh, tar sands oil is low, but they have refineries, so they they make all the money back in refineries from the the, the low input costs. Well, I wrote a here is emissions by economic sectors. I couldn't get a, a more recent uh, one than this. What it shows is if you look at transportation, the green pie-shaped piece at the bottom, that is 23% of our emissions. If you look at the, at the top right, the blue one, that is the emissions from the production of oil and gas. So that is bigger than all forms of transportation. That was in 2013, but it is but it is higher than that now. It's at least uh, 15 or 20% higher than that. I presented uh, a report on uh, phasing out the sands in Banff uh, last year, to 375 people at the Alberta Institute of Agrologists Conference. Agrologists are the people who study the science of food. I thought, agrologists, well, that's good. You know, I I made the, uh, they'll be more open to my argument than the uh, Petroleum Club, Club in Calgary. I argued that water, not oil, is Alberta's most important natural resource, and that its educated, innovative people are its crucial human resource. Was I wrong? Big oil is so powerful in Alberta that it dominates most sectors, including the NDP and my former student and friend, uh, Rachel Notley. I asked, uh, agrologists at the conference, Judith was there, my wife here, uh, I asked, what do you do just before my talk? And they'd say, well, uh, I'm in land wreck. What? Land reclamation, as opposed to wrecking the land. I work for Suncor or Canadian Natural. Their job was to pretend to put the land back together after Big Oil wrecked it. They politely endured my talk, but their livelihoods were so entwined with the profitability of Alberta Sands that few listened, let alone embrace it. Better to pray for another oil boom, at the end of which, of course, we know that Alberta's economy will fall over a cliff. Big Oil will decamp carrying off bags of gold and leave ordinary Albertans to clean up almost half a million wells, huge toxic tailing lakes that the uh, big oil calls ponds. The estimated cleanup costs are $260 billion, and that could be low. That is five times, uh, more than five times Alberta's annual budget. The Athabasca Chipewyan chief Alan Adams predicts that his people... Will one day become environmental refugees from their homeland. So, this is the report that I wrote for the agrologists. Actually, have, you can get it on my website. If you go to my website, you can uh, download a copy. So, you've seen the, the, uh, the oil sand. The Thai the sands cover an incredibly big area. Really, the, the whole, about a quarter of Alberta, northeastern Alberta, has been so uh, devastated by the tar sands but other other kinds of oil and gas developments lines cutting through them that area is larger that quarter of alberta is larger than the three maritime provinces uh, and of course uh, indigenous peoples uh, the uh, way of life has been disrupted the the beaver lake Cree are fighting in court against the expansion of the sands their biodiversity uh, is uh, there is a the species are doing poorly. Although the atmosphere is a common... So this is what, if you dig up... Uh, they want to call this oil sands. You know, the, the indigenous people used this stuff to, uh, to patch their canoes before settlers came. So what would you put on to patch a canoe? Uh, would you put on oil or would you put on the tar? <laughs> so... Although the uh, atmosphere, the world's atmosphere, is a common shared by all humans and other living things, each country must devise its own plan. Countries are the locus of power, loci of power. There is no global government. So to hit the uh, Paris climate goals, uh, each country has got to take really strong action. And to do it without artificial geoengineering, like seeding clouds, the world must do three incredibly ambitious things by 2050 that are way more than adding solar and wind. Rapid decarbonization, plus an agricultural revolution away from meat, plus massive natural engineering involving new wilding or regrow, uh, re-greening a third of the planet. New forests would act as giant carbon sinks and enhance biodiversity. That much land can only come from pasture. Pasture actually takes up 70% of the world's agricultural land, cut your beef consumption. The average omnivore requires a little over a hectare of land. Vegetarians, 35% as much. Vegans, 12% as much. So that's what we end. The uh, solar and wind take away, take about 100 times as much space as does the oil industry because it is not uh, an energy-intensive uh, resource. So we need that space. Uh, Global CO2 emissions from energy and industry have to fall in half uh, each decade, in the 2020s and the 2030s and the 2040s, and that's what the world must do. Well, Canada must also pull its weight. Canada has 0.5% of the world's people, but we produce 1.6% of the world's emissions. That is over three times our global per capita level. Oil apologists say Canada's emissions are insignificant, and, of course, that's an excuse for doing nothing. It is not true that, that Canada is insignificant. If you look at the big emitters for during the Industrial Age until uh, 2011, you see that Canada, or Canada is the yellow part there on the left side, we're in the top ten. Uh, we may be 38th, we're the 38th country in the world of population, but we're in the top ten in emissions. So we're one of the big guys. We have higher emissions than Britain, than France, than Italy, and they have almost twice our population. If you look at the top 10 emitters in 2011, Canada is uh, uh, again there, it's in the yellow, uh, and it is way bigger than if you look at... So the left column shows our emissions, and the middle column shows our population, which, of course, is much smaller than... um than, than the emissions part. Well, uh, so Canadians uh, emit about twice as much as Norway does and Sweden and other northern sparsely populated countries. Now, when you talk about this, you start to get into China excuses. They always say, well, what what can we do? They always try to, well, you know, there's China. China's got all those coal mines and it's got it and so, you know, we don't have to do anything because we have to wait for, for China to do it first. Yes, China is the world's biggest uh, greenhouse gas emitter, but they also have the most people. And China is starting to take action that puts Canada to shame. China is taking uh, uh, air pollution from uh, coal burning seriously because 350,000 people a year die in China uh, because of it. So this is what I'd say is the, the, uh, the China excuses. Why did you Why did you get me? I you know the other guy was speeding more. Well, so uh, in terms of China, it reached peak uh, coal um, consumption in 2013. So it has been going down since then. Their energy intensity mean how much uh, energy is used for uh, uh, each uh, for its uh, compared to its uh, GDP. It fell by f- over 45% since 2005. Its emissions are likely already have peaked. It's on track to exceed its official Paris target. And China is in many ways a leader in uh, in uh, the the Paris uh, meeting, its Paris goals. This is what's happened in Beijing in terms of air quality. You know, even the elites in Beijing and their kids have to breathe the air, so they want to be serious about doing something about it. China is also a global leader in... Slide became it went into two. So it's a leader in vehicle production and sales. Subsidizes uh, electric uh, vehicles, building lots of public transport, and is doing a lot of this because they say they want to be ahead of the game. This is where the world where the world is moving, and the Tar Sands are threatened by uh, by China. Jeff Rubin was a, the chief economist for the CIBC Bank. He said the emission-constrained world is around the corner, and only the lowest-cost producers will remain viable. And of course, the tar sands are the highest-cost uh, production in the world, and the dirtiest, some of the dirtiest oil. And Ruben says there is no future for the oil sands, and he's right. I was—I uh, lived in Alberta for 30 years, and we moved back to Ontario. We're living now in, in uh, Muskoka, but I was in Alberta in 2015. When Alberta uh, announced its its climate plan, and I was quite shocked about it. I was going to appear on radio the next morning at 6 a.m., and um, so I I stayed up very late. This is what um, this is. Rachel Notley. Now, if you look at the big men standing at the back, they are the four heads of the the biggest uh, um, tar sands corporations, and they're smiling the biggest. Why are they smiling the biggest? because they basically wrote the plan and the NDP government uh, adopted it. You know, you, you probably heard that, that Alberta brags that they have an emissions cap. They put the, uh, the emissions at 100 mil- megatons for, for the, the tar sands. At the moment, they're about 72 megatons. The, the big oil, I don't know what that sound is, is that the, 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 the tar sands companies... Knew that they wouldn't reach. They didn't think they were going to reach that cap. That's why they put the cap. So the cap is basically a fifty percent increase in, in in tar sands uh, emissions between now and twenty thirty. So uh, Alberta brags that they're they're phasing out coal generated electricity, and that's a good thing. But and and some other ways of, of fighting emissions, including having a, a carbon tax. But all of those other changes are going to be totally mitigated. By the increase in tar sands oil, so that is going to. Uh, uh, so, in fact, by 2030, Alberta's plan doesn't lower their emissions at all, and their emissions are really incredible. So, this is uh, th- these are where Alberta's emissions are from. If you look at the bottom, of the green um, triangle there, that's from tra- that's from el- electricity generation. That's the coal-fired electricity. If you look at the the uh, orange one, the eleven percent, that's from transportation. So what they did, and, and you know, I said it on the radio the next morning. I said what they're doing is they're asking average Albertans to pay more for their electricity and their gas, so big oil can increase its emissions. This is what the NDP government has done. So the big elephant in the room, they're doing nothing about the tar sands emission. In fact, they're allowing that. It's a it's a permission to grow. So the result of this, if you look at in 1990 this is uh, it shows the emissions by province and then in 2013 so alberta is the biggest one there at uh, it, it was just under 30% in 1990 is uh, 37% alberta has 12% of the of canada's population it's responsible for 37% of, of its emissions and it isn't so the emissions in alberta has 4.2 million people are greater than uh, than the emissions of Ontario and Quebec combined with 22 million people. That's how much, and it isn't the driving habits of Albertans that's doing it, it. Is the tar sands? Saskatchewan is as bad as Alberta at it its per capita level. Again, it's not their ordinary Saskatchewanians. Well, despite the um, the major setbacks such as uh, Trump election of Trump, by 2050 the age of oil will likely be over. It's no longer, it sh- oil by 2050 should no longer be the world's dominant energy source around which military strategies are shaped and war is fought. There will still be some oil use, but it may be used to make plastics, but at much lower levels. And renewable energy and deep conservation should dominate. Well, global oil demand is likely to fall uh, within the next Five to fifteen years. I'm talking about demand. I'm not talking about peak oil in the old sense of production of oil. We have too much oil. We have to leave it in the ground. We ha- we cannot afford to burn it. Shell says that that energy demand, uh, oil demand, is going to fall in five to f- fifteen years. And you know what what uh, sources of oil are going to fall first? Is it going to be the the low cost, the conventional oil that say Saudi Arabia has, or is it going to be the highest cost? dirtier source. That's what's going to fall first. And that is the tar sands. If the carbon intensity in, El- in the tar sands is not improving, technical improvements are entirely negated by the shift from surface mining to deeper, more energy-intensive extraction and declining reservoir quality. Guess what? The oil companies pick the low-hanging fruit first. So the, the, the oil you go after that is the is more expensive and dirtier. Well the sands have 97% of Canada's total uh, uh oil uh, reserves. They make uh, it harder. To, 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 and the, because of that uh, oil, uh, Canada has the third largest uh, uh proven oil reserves in the world. And if all of Alberta's uh, tar oil is burned, the world even by that by itself will prevent the world the temperature uh, from um Will make the temperature rise above two degrees Celsius. Well, in uh, in two thousand and nine, the G eight countries committed to cut their greenhouse gas emissions eighty percent below their nineteen ninety levels by mid century. It's a good target. Net zero is even better. To cut Canada's eighty uh, percent of Canada's annual emissions, they must fall to about one hundred and twenty three megatons uh, by twenty fifty. Now. The the Alberta cap is 100 megatons. So if Alberta uh, allows the tar sands to to grow and to and to stay at 100 megatons, it will take 83 percent just the tar sands alone of Canada's total emissions. Well, the Pan Canadian framework on climate, they actually integrated the Alberta plan and they adopted the Alberta plan as a Canadian plan. And just the Alberta just by itself, the growth in the tar sands. Is going to make it impossible for us to meet our targets. The Pan-Canadian framework on climate was going to put a $50 a ton carbon tax, even in provinces such as, uh, uh, Doug Ford's, uh, Ontario. There will be a carbon tax and, and, and there's also going to be coal-fired electricity will be phased out across Canada by 2030. Those are Good measures they're extremely weak they 're better than nothing but but they 're not anywhere near sufficient. So what is you know fifty dollars a ton doesn't mean anything to people it's eleven it would add eleven cents a liter they're going to take four years by two thousand and twenty two to add eleven cents a liter that's what the carbon tax is going to do. What is that going to do? Four years ago and uh, when the world price of oil was a hundred dollars a barrel, gasoline was twenty or thirty cents a liter higher, and what did that do? So, and and there is a problem with a carbon tax. I'm I'm in favor of a carbon tax, but you can't. Here is the problem: you can't raise it high enough to stop the wasteful activity of the rich and the well-to-do without creating tremendous hardships for low and middle-income people. And of course, we saw in France just in the last week incredible protests against uh gasoline uh, tax. And the, the Macron government has rolled those back. So uh, I think a much better idea, and I don't have time to go into it here. I could in discussion, are energy quotas. The the uh, Britain um, passed a uh, 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 tradable energy quotas law in two thousand eight. They haven't implemented it, but it is a great plan because it actually uh, makes it mo- much most It makes it most difficult for um, you know. With the rich and the well-to-do to evade it. And it is, it redistributes wealth to the, to lower income people. That's a much better plan. Here is the problem. The richest 10% of the world's people cause 50% of global emissions. So you need, uh, you need a, a, a fairer way of doing it. Alberta's climate plan was incorporated into the pan-Canadian one. Some of my slides disappeared, but okay. Most of the world's carbon fuels must stay in the ground to avoid catastrophic warming. There is no point in allowing oil exploration in new deposits anywhere in the world. We cannot afford to extract what has already been discovered. Over 430 billion barrels of global oil must remain unburned. And for Canada, and these are international comparisons uh, that were done by economists in Britain, Canada should not produce... uh, More than 7.5 billion barrels of oil from the Alberta, uh, from the tar sands. That's six years of, uh, tar sands production would, would, that would get us to our limit of that. Well, the world oil price fell in half since, since 2014. Some existing sands projects are expanding, but only one project is proceeding, tech. And there's big protests against that, and that, that's good to, to support the, trying to Stop 10. Several major oil companies have pulled out, either fully or, or to a great extent. Total, France's largest oil corporation, Norway's Statoil, Shell, and ConocoPhillips have either fully or partially pulled out. And as a result of the, uh, the oil price crash, 17 major SANS projects were postponed or cancelled. That is almost half the major shelved oil projects in the world. Good start. Um, Government action. I'm I'm almost finished here. We cannot rely though on the market to phase out the sands. Only governments can enforce hard limits to extraction. Only governments can ensure a soft landing for sands workers and in partnership, working in partnership with indigenous nations like the Beaver Lake Cree, providing a future for indigenous nations in northeastern Alberta. Ottawa is, of course, doing the opposite by approving major uh, pipelines, buying a pipeline itself. And here's the problem with with building pipelines. It's going to take 20 or 30 years of shipping oil at full volume, mainly tar sands oil, to pay off the cost of the pipeline. So that would bring us to mid-century of committing us to stay with tar sands oil. So... None of this. We have to stop this stuff from going forward. Phasing out polluting sunset industries is difficult and wrenching for workers and communities, but it can be done. Closing coal-fired power in Ontario met much opposition, but succeeded, and it caused that was uh, caused the biggest drop in Canada's greenhouse gases of any single thing Canada's done. It was Ontario phasing out uh, coal-fired power. Alberta's doing, uh, got a similar plan by 2030. They've got a good transition for coal workers. But it was presented, this plan of, of phasing out coal was presented by the NDP government as the only credible way to protect the growth of Alberta sands. That's how it was presented. That is not progress. Phasing in a post-oil economy. The ideal time to start transitioning off the sands is now. It's much harder to stop a boom. ...than it is to help already displaced workers and communities transition to a new economy. People talk about jobs and the loss of jobs. Well, Canada's oil and gas sector is one of the poorest job creators. Of 107 industry categories in Alberta, the oil and gas extraction is tied for last place in jobs created per unit of GDP... In fact, it takes, over, it takes about 1.6 million dollars of investment to produce one job in the tire sands. You get 10 times as many jobs for each dollar invested in manufacturing. You get 8 times as many in construction. So once these sands are built, that, that's a lot of them are, are, they're construction workers that do, they're building them. Once they're built, there are very few uh, jobs in op- operating these uh, projects. Deep conservation and renewable energy, uh, generates more jobs than Canada's current failed focus on carbon fuel exports. More jobs are created by saving a unit of carbon energy than in digging one up, burning and emitting it. Well, there are, so we need new construction, retrofitting all buildings in Canada, building LRT and subways, high speed intercity trains, district heating, wind, tidal, deep thermal and solar power. There are some green shoots in Alberta. Initiatives from, uh, workers, oil workers. There are the iron and earth workers. Uh, these are uh, workers in the, the tar sands who are, uh, retraining a thousand electrical workers to work on solar panels. The IBEW, uh, the, the Electrical Workers Union is also training uh, tar sands uh, workers to uh, uh, install solar and, and other renewables. There is RAFT, Reclaim Alberta, Alberta's Future Today. It was started by oil, oil workers. It calls for the unionized reclamation of Alberta's aging and expired fossil fuel infrastructure to be financed by the oil industry on the principle of make the, the polluter pay. And I quote from it, the sun is setting on Alberta's oil and natural gas industries, this is from RAF to Reclaim Alberta. The inevitable consequences can only be escaped by embracing the shift away from fossil fuels and by finally taking responsibility for cleaning up the environmental legacy of a century's poorly regulated oil and glass gas development. Let's put Albertans back to work today to clean up those oil wells. 346,000 active oil well licenses 430,000 kilometers of pipeline, if you can believe it, in Alberta, need to be dismantled. In conclusion, Alberta, the Alberta and Canadian governments can allow the market to determine the speed and ways the sands are shut down and let sands workers in their communities fend for themselves acted upon. A better way is for Alberta and Ottawa to act to manage the transition so it phases in how workers are retrained to help build a thriving, sustainable, socially just future. Canada must reinvent a post-bitumen, post-resource extraction economy.